So guys, um, it is time to get into um, part two and the story of the plagues. It's Good Friday, as I said before in my introduction, significant, uh, deep significance for us as Christians. And it might seem a little odd that we're sticking to um, sticking to Exodus and the plagues, but but I believe that this today and Sunday and what I spoke on last week will still beautifully lead us into um, Easter Sunday and this, this weekend as a whole. Um, I just want to remind you kids, I know we said at the beginning and it's been said multiple times, but a reminder one more time that uh, and young people and adults, if you want to, to join in drawing as well. But I asked for three pictures, the, the bug, the um, what was it? The frog, bug, locust, locust, that's a car, locust, <laughs> locust, locust. Uh, and I'll also need you to draw a little bit while we're going as well. So um, there'll be moments when I'll say, can you hold up your drawing? Um, and, and Gareth's going to try and zoom around all the uh, cameras he can and pick up your drawings at that moment as well. Uh, you don't want to look at me at that point. Um, and a reminder for adults, we're doing communion at the end of the preach. There'll be another song uh, and then a moment of silence and then we'll do communion. So juice and wine and bread um, is going to be needed for that if you, if you want to join us in communion. Right, here goes. So um, food goes through trends. I guess you, you, you know that. You know there's been foam as you. There's Nouveau Cuisine, which is apparently French for not enough food. Um, but there's uh, been a trend a while back, you would have seen it if you watched anything like MasterChef, of deconstructionism, deconstruction, stripping something back to its base ingredients, like an apple crumble and exposing it. I don't know if I put a picture in, I managed to get one last night. Oh, yeah, there you go, deconstructed apple crumble. Uh, I don't understand, frankly. Um, but um, deconstruction is like breaking something down and exposing all its elements. And, and God's going to do that in Exodus. I mentioned last week about God versus the pantheon of gods in Egypt. And he's going to deconstruct the Egyptian belief system, their pantheon. He's going to strip them down um, and expose them for what they are. And remember, Exodus 5.2, Pharaoh kind of smirked at Moses and said, who is the Lord? Who is this God that you're telling me about? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Well, well, Pharaoh and the whole world, because this story is so well known, and that's part of the reason it is the story it is, the whole world's about to find out who is the Lord. Uh, and God's going to take down the Egyptian system of, of gods. They call it a cosmos sometimes or a pantheon. But Pharaoh sees that system as his source of power, of which he tops on earth. He is the earthly God representative of this pantheon behind him. Um, but just like a real apple crumble, if you put it in front of me, God's going to demolish it. I would do the same. And, and so at lightning speed today, and I don't know how long this is going to take, because we're going to mix in some stuff with the kids, but we'll try to keep it fairly tight, because I'm going to get through... Uh, nine plagues three books of the bible and of course we're not going to read that would take all the time um so i'm going to choose selected parts i'm going to do a bit of a roundup at the end um read it yourself you know you can go from eight to ten um, and read it for yourselves this part of scripture adults there's a lot more in there there's a lot more grisly details of what was going on but we're in a family service kids are watching i'm going to kind of keep to the primary things which are true regardless of your age but obviously, if you read the scripts, you see a bit more about some of the things that were happening um, during this time. So remember, Moses has already said uh, to Pharaoh that God demands that he lets his people, the Israelites, go out of slavery and out of Egypt. And already a hard hearted Pharaoh before the place has said, nope, uh, and has mocked them and they've gone back. And God has turned Aaron and Moses faith around. And now they're believing in what God has asked them to do. So I'm going to go through these um, 
these nine plagues. The tenth one we're going to do on Sunday. The first one is um, the Nile being turned to blood. And so Exodus 7, 17 to 18 said, Thus says the Lord, by this, so remember he's responding to a question, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. So this is to Moses, but also to Pharaoh ultimately. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it will turn into blood. Sorry, this is this is Moses and Aaron's declaring what God has told them to say. Excuse me. And the fish of the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And that's exactly what happens. So this is the forewarning that, that Moses gives, and then that's exactly what does happen. Um, Moses and Aaron doesn't say which one, I don't think, actually struck the water. It turns to blood. And that gets the water is contaminated, and that water is absolutely everywhere. I've been on the Nile. I know the Browns are on this call. You've taken me twice. It is huge, um, the Nile, and it and it has tributaries or whatever you call them, and ponds and, and various other things that come off it. And the entire it says the entire Nile and all the rivers and the ponds were turned to contaminated water. Even the stuff they had already taken in buckets and storage, it all was contaminated. Um, and so Egyptians, the point here is that Egyptians literally worshipped the Nile. Uh, it was their lifeblood. Uh, they even sung so songs to the god of the Nile, whose name was Happy, H-A-P-I. And the songs would have words like this. And it, it was a man with a woman, some parts of a woman's body. Very strange looking god in their view. But these were the words they would sing to him. It is his power that creates everything and none can live without him. To Happy, the Nile god. So God in this first plague is striking at the very core of their belief that it's happy that creates everything and it's happy that sustains them through the Nile. And now the Nile has lost its life-giving power and the fish, their main source of food that sustains them, both are essentially dead. And I see that God in these first three plays is dismantling their fundamental creation beliefs. Who creates, who sustains, who puts man on earth and beasts. You'll see these being dealt with in the first three plagues. Because the Egyptians think it's these gods and God's saying it is not. So God is saying happy is neither creator nor sustainer. I am. Right, so, so that's important. Happy is neither creator nor sustainer. I am. And I've proven it to you by putting happy in his place. Um, now, I just want you to note something um, in the scripture. I'm not going to read all of it, but the, the magicians of Pharaoh copy and do exactly the same thing. They turn some water, precious water right now. They had to dig water out of uh, wells in the ground to get anything they could drink. And the magicians that Pharaoh had turn it into, into maybe blood, maybe something else. But it looks the same. And like, nice job. You know, it was bad enough as it was. We already had no water. You take some of the water we do have and you make that contaminate as well. So good job. We'll come back to them um, in a while because one of the things about the magicians in the early stages is they're basically counterfeit. They are replicating. They can only imitate. They can't eradicate, which would have been helpful, or alleviate. They, they, that would have been good. All they can do is copy something like what God does, and eventually they will come a cropper. All right, the next one. Kids, you are on. So while I'm reading this out, Gareth's going to try and get to you. Hold up the picture, if you can, of your frogs. So hold up your pictures of the frogs to the camera. I'll let Gareth do some clicking around. Um, hopefully you'll start to see some of those. Um, and now, because you can spotlight some of them. Yeah, you go, I'm seeing some of them on my phone. Uh, there's a great one, the great frog. Is that uh, one of the McGovern's? Looks amazing. 
Yeah, fantastic. So there'll be some more coming up. Uh, and I'll read the scripture to you. So I know they'd be very distracting with all those amazing pictures. But let me uh, read to you. It says in Exodus 8, 3 to 4, The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house, into your bedroom, and on your bed, and into your houses of your servants and your people, and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and your people, and uh, on your people and all your servants. Great pictures, guys. Thank you so much. Egyptians worshipped um, frogs. It was actually illegal to kill a frog because they linked frogs to an, a, a goddess called Heket. Um, that's one of the pronunciations of a name. Now, I saw a Lorraine there. Fantastic. Uh, if you don't, if you don't mind, uh, if you don't want to kind of mess up your picture, then feel free. But why don't you just draw a little body underneath your frog? Like not the head. The head is the frog, but the body underneath. Um, so draw on that picture a body little stick man it can be tiny if you like with a massive frog head but use your frog as the head draw the body underneath and, and maybe again Gareth you can click around and see if anyone's holding that up to the camera it could be quite amusing what we get here but kids and, and everyone joined that's what they believe Heket looked like sort of Heket was a, um, a frog goddess there you go great thank you so much uh, with a head of a frog and a body of a woman and Heket was supposed to be married to a god called Kunum. Um, and the, they believed that Kunum furnished man on a potter's will. And Heket, they believe, which is important to them, they believe Heket breathed life into man. And so you can imagine how this is sitting in God's uh, economy that they believe that Kunum creates man and Heket breathes life in. And now there are frogs everywhere. And Pharaoh is pleading with Moses to ask God to remove the frogs. And he does. What does he do to the frogs? The frogs all die out. It says the frogs died in the houses, the courtyards and the fields. All the frogs die. And this, uh, this is the God they link to creation, sustaining life, representing, representing by frogs. And now the frogs are lying dead everywhere. So God is saying to Heket and Kunum, it is not, um, they, Heket and Kunum, are not man's creator, the breathers of life or the fertility givers. I am. So they will not, they did not create man, they do not breathe life into man, they do not give fertility to man. That's all me. I'm the one that does that. Magicians create more frogs. Again, nice work, brilliant. Thanks a lot. More frogs, just what we needed. Pharaoh hardens his heart because he sees at that point, we can do it too. This isn't God. This, you're not that powerful. And we move on. So his heart is hardened again. Right, we're moving on to the next one, which is gnats, sometimes referred to as lice. I'm going to stick with gnats. Um, I think that's more appropriate for what I, I've been reading. Uh, kids, um, if you've got your fly drawing, um, hold it as far away from the camera as you can. Then you can go to the back of the room if you want. Hold it as far away as you can. So as far away from the camera as it possibly can be. So it's really small um, because gnats are tiny. Yeah, gnats are so small you cannot hardly see them. They are tiny. So you can send your kids. There you go. Back at the room. Well done, Bellamy. Um, we're seeing these pictures. They're tiny. And it's. And I want to read to you 8, 16 to 17 about the plague of gnats. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so because they were being obedient. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff. He struck the dust of the earth and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats. Thanks for the drawings, kids. We're going to see them again in a bit. We're going to see them close up. For now, we're just looking at them at a distance because that's a gnat. So like I say, some use the term lice, but I think when I read on, it looks like it's actually gnats. Irritating though gnats were, um, 
the important element here is that there's stri the striking of the dust of the earth. Okay, so striking of the dust of the earth. Egyptians had a god called Geb, G-E-B, Geb. Um, the god of the dust, the god of the dirt, the god of the earth. Genesis 2.19 says, um, God created man, every beast, and every, uh, every beast of the field, and every bird of the heavens, and all creatures out of the dust, out of the ground, out of the dirt. It depends what translation you read, but, but out of that, God created everything, every creature by from the dust of the earth. God is saying, Geb is also not man's creator, nor the creator of any creature. I am. So that is now three of the four, three or four Egyptian gods that they thought were instrumental in the wonders of creation, breathing life into things, creating everything we see, deconstructed. So he's gone straight into their fundamental creation belief system and said, I've dismantled that in three in three strikes. Um, none of them have the power you believe they, were, they have. Uh, we believe God is the creator of all things. Amen. We believe he creates everything we see, creates the, the stars that we see above us and cannot see the earth that he has gifted us with. Not science, not strange accidents, not strange chemistry. God in control. However you believe creation came about, we believe a creator God is in control. That's our God and God's declaring it in these three plagues. Now, the magicians found that out too, that God was the God that they claimed because they could not recreate the gnats. They couldn't do it. They tried and failed, and they turn around and say to Pharaoh, this God is more than we can match. And at that moment, you see the magicians step back. The counterfeits, the fakes, the, the attempts to do something similar, they can't keep up because God is increasing, and they are exposed to what they are. We'll hear a little bit more about them later, maybe. Right, kids, back on again. Now we need to see your fly drawings up close. So you can bring your flies closer to the camera. Uh, I'm sure Gareth's getting RSI by now, clicking it so many times, but he'll find some of you. So let's see those fly pictures up close. Brilliant. Love to see. Wow, some of those are fantastic. Oh, great stuff. Right, let me read while you're showing those. Um, 8.20 to 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that may, they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. Again, it's going everywhere. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Wow. So thank you, kids, again. So there's flies coming in everywhere. Now, we most of us would have drawn a house fly. That's what I would have drawn, too. Um, but when you look at it, it could have been that kind of a fly. I think it's called ignumen is the type of fly that's common in that time. But actually, a lot of people believe it was more like an Egyptian beetle fly. Otherwise known as, I don't know if you recognize this term now, scarab. Yeah, a scarab. So many believe this was a plague of scarabs, beetle flies from uh, common in the time. Now, scarabs and the amulets of scarabs, the kind of brooch type uh, sort of thing, if, 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 think of a better word, but you know what I mean? These amulets of scarabs were often placed in coffins and sarcophaguses, right? You've seen the films, we've watched The Mummy. Scarabs feature a lot. Ever wondered why? Why are they put in? Why are they on hieroglyphics? Why are they with the dead? So kids, why don't you draw a little body on the bottom of your fly? Um, and then you can hold them up to the camera. Um, I think that's the last time, Gareth, I'm going to get you to the locust so you get a bit of a break. But look at some, Let's draw little bodies on the bottom of these flies. Uh, what they believed, something like that, was what the Egyptian god Kefri looked like. K-E-P-H-R. Um, so we got some of those pictures. Gareth, there we go. Little bodies on the flies. Um, thank you guys. So, um, <laughs> it's on the grid. um, she was a woman's body, head of a fly, but she was the goddess of rebirth or eternal life. 
Okay, rebirth or eternal life. And I'll come back to that in a moment because something quite stunning is also happening at this moment in Exodus. And it echoes right up into our modern times, right into the heart of Easter and Good Friday and Easter Sunday. At this point in the Exodus story, God starts to separate his people from the rest of Egypt. Um, they do not suffer these plagues. And he makes a point of it. No longer will my people suffer. This is now on the judgment on just you guys. They will be kept separate. And in Goshen, which is where they were, these plagues don't happen. Many of the, the, them were protected. Echoes right up for me into Easter and the gospel. Ultimately, the judgment of God will come on all mankind. But God separates his people out. Those who are his he protects them from the consequences of their actions through Jesus Christ and a confession upon him. Our repentance and confession of our sins to God, believing Jesus Christ sets us free, means we are separated out. And that is a wonderful, amazing, stunning, can't get my head around it gift of God. Jesus Christ on the cross is where our sins and the guilt, guilty judgment that we deserve is dealt with. That's amazing. We receive eternal life. So God is saying, Kefri is not the deliverer of eternal life. I am. Wow, right. Oh, plague number five. All right, I'm going to have to speed up a bit. I don't even know what time it is. Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Okay. Um, so, number five, livestock. So, in this one, God deals with multiple gods in one go. So, in Exodus 9, 2 to 4, it says this. Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock and in the fields, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds and all the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel, his people and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing that at all of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. Now, I've said why that is, um, but I want to tackle um, three gods here because that's what I believe God is doing. He's, he's trying to set down three gods. There is one called the bull god, Apis, A-P-I-S. The cow goddess Hathor, the um, and the ram uh, ram god called Kanum. Again, you've heard his name before. They have often have multiple um, gods of multiple things. So Apis represents, among other things, strength, and Hathor, who has a cow's head, represents beauty. Okay, you go figure why that's beautiful. Um, but yeah, cow's head is supposed to symbolise beauty. Um, now, the plague brings down these multiple idols, but it's fundamentally going to attack their food and their economic systems, the structures that, that set them up for trading and economy, because they're trading uh, across the whole nation and across borders, no doubt. That, that is going to get hit. Um, and the very things that they require on a daily basis, their basic needs. So God is saying, look, Kefri, Apis, and Kanum, they are not the providers of your everyday needs. I am. They are not going to provide your everyday needs. They're not the systems that you put your trust in. I am. And I think during this season of economic collapse and uh, disruption to supply, we should take comfort in knowing that God will supply our needs. Amen? Because he is the God that will meet our needs. All right. Moving on. Boils. I'm glad I didn't ask you kids to draw this one. I don't know what we would have got. Um, but um, let's go into Exodus 8, uh, sorry, 9, 8 to 9. And this, uh, I can't really get into the kiln uh, part of this, but listen to this and I'll, I'll talk about the God he's dealing with. It, he says, take spoon, uh, take, sorry, take handfuls of soot from the kiln 
and let Moses throw them into the air in the sight of Pharaoh. That's mentioned several times, by the way. These things happen in the sight of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh is in no doubt that God is doing supernatural things off the back of things like striking dust, throwing soot into the air. It isn't like something happens and he's thinking, where did that come from? He knows that Moses and Aaron are doing God's work. Um, and it says it shall become fun land and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all of the land of Egypt. Now boils represented obviously illness um, and they also when you had boils in this culture you regarded as unclean and many magicians and religious leaders and people of power and the priests uh, of this time were, were shaven uh, so the priests were shaven and they kept themselves incredibly clean washing multiple times a day and their physical appearance, their purity, as it were, was external. Uh, and they claimed that they had access to healing gods and medicines. So um, if they had boils and they had, were unclean, that really brought down them and the gods that they believed in. And they believed in multiple ones around this. But two of particular note, there's one called the goddess Isis, um, spelled as you would imagine, um, no connection. She was the goddess of medicine. And there's another one which many of you will know, adults, I would think, if you've seen the first mummy film, um, he's called Imhotep. And Imhotep was a physician, uh, a god of healing. But now these gods cannot help the very people that uh, pray to them, consider them uh, connected to them, the magicians, the, the leaders, the priests. They cannot get healing from Isis or Imhotep. So God is saying, Isis and Imhotep are not the healers of the sick. I am. I am the great physician. Right, let's go on. Hopefully you're keeping up with me. Uh, let's go to number seven. Number seven is hail. So there's a, there's a few things happening here. And again, we're just skimming through to see what God's doing rather than digging deep into everyone because this would take months. Exodus 9, 17 to 18, it says, you are still exalting yourself, this is to Pharaoh, against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause a very heavy hail to fall on you, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. The, the hail storms end all hail storms. No one's ever seen or known of anything like this because there will have been storms, there will have been things. Hail's pretty unusual in Egypt. I know that from the Browns. Um, but critical, critical stuff is going on here. And um, Pharaoh is exalting himself and he's refusing to kneel to God's command to let the Israelites go. And so God takes down the Egyptian goddess of the air, who's called Nut or Nut, it's spelled N-U-T, um, but uh, she's the Egyptian goddess of the air, and there's a storm god called Set. And there's also a crop goddess, Isis. I don't know if it's the same one, could be multitasking, as I said. And there's a sun god too, Ra, we'll hear about him later. And there's Pharaoh in the mix. So five gods are all wrapped up in what happens as hail comes down. God is, God is saying here, and again, detail could take ages. You are no, all of you, all five of you, no match for me. Who controls the sky and the ground on which you stand? Who is it in control of that? I am. Right. Kids, you're back on. And, and this is your last uh, drawing. I need to see those locusts. Now, this was a tricky one, but I saw some during the, the prequel. They looked amazing. So hold up your pictures of your locusts. Ah, well done amazing yeah they're so good fantastic gareth you're doing a great job thank you so much let me read while we're going around here and you can keep clicking around so you can look while i read exodus 10 14 to 15 
The locusts came, came up over the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts had never been seen before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit and of the trees and, the and what the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Thank you, kids. Wonderful stuff. Right. This was an attack on Osiris. This multi, he was a multifaceted senior god. Um, the Egyptians believe was the god of the harvest and the judge of the afterlife. Okay, so Osiris is, is given the, the judge of the afterlife. So this one God has to take down. Uh, and Jesus even describes God himself in Matthew 9 as the, the Lord of the harvest. So this is, this is God's title and it sh certainly shouldn't be attributed to Osiris. You know, the lost don't know God and, and have no idea about the after choice, the, the afterlife choice between heaven and hell. God is God is offering the, the answer to that. I offer you heaven and not hell because of my son, Jesus and my grace. Osiris is not in charge and never was. So God is saying Osiris is not the eternal God of the harvest, nor is he the God of the afterlife. I am. You wanted to know who I am, Pharaoh? There you go. Now, before the last, we go to the last plague. I just want to bring out a few points that in my skimming over we would have missed out on um, and and these are only a few this is a rich uh, piece of scripture for sure um, but woven into the story of the nine plagues is is quite a few key themes that i think we all need to just listen to for a moment and the first one is often missed it, it is god's patience i know it doesn't seem like it during this but if you look at this story and you read it you'll see god giving warning and then waiting, warning, and then waiting, and sometimes saying this will happen at this point in time. I'll even put it out there at another point in time. We'll come back to that in a moment. But but even the latter plagues, you know, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's has opportunity to change, but his heart is hard. Yet God is continuing to say, look, I'm going to do this if you don't listen to me. If you refuse, and towards the latter stages, God hardens Pharaoh's heart because he's just reached no point of return and God needs to make the final points. But in the early stages, Pharaoh, the first five at least, it's clear Pharaoh has a choice and he's hard towards him. God is patient. God calls people to him. He's doing it right now. He's doing it today, calling people to him. He's been doing it for many of us most of our lives. And we're just I, I kind of OK, but mm. um, and God is just so incredibly patient. He, he continues to call us, offering his hand out because of this stunning truth in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That is, that is the most known scripture. It has been called out for years. I'm calling it out now. You, we know that to be true. He is incredibly patient and gracious towards us. He's gracious and patient towards us who have accepted him. He's gracious and patient towards those who are yet to accept him. So if you're listening and watching, um, that offer is sitting there right today. God has been calling all of us for years. I remember him calling me for years and me like, nah, nah, not interested. Yeah, cool. Christians, yeah. He broke through in the end, gave my life to him, received the gift of eternal life and the peace of standing on a rock. Uh, it's just been amazing. I could, uh, if I go into that, this will go on for hours. But linked to this is, is also several occasions when God is showing his control over time and he's asking, like I said, he's asking or declaring when a plague will stop. And um, when the frogs were everywhere, if I use the frogs one again, um, 
there's this strange moment when he asks Pharaoh uh, this questions, uh, and, and there's this conversation that goes on um, between Moses, God, Moses, God, then Moses and Pharaoh. It says, "Plead, uh, uh, this Pharaoh saying, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice the Lord." This is what they've been asking all along. Let us go. Moses said to Pharaoh, "Be please." Uh, so Moses said to Pharaoh, "Be pleased to command me. Tell me when you want me to ask God, when I am to plead for you." And for your servants and for your people, that the frogs will be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile where they originally come from. And and Pharaoh says, tomorrow. I I don't get that. <laughs> I have to say to you, I don't understand what's going on. It's a really odd answer. And the trouble with sin is it gets everywhere. It gets everywhere. It's like the frogs and the flies. They're everywhere. Christian or non-Christian, sin uh, is, is still um, pestering us. Idolatry, money, sex, power, love, career, these things, they, they creep in and they infest and they're, they're all around and they're trying to get into everything. And there's often a question asked to the non-believer and the believer, the Christian and the non-Christian, when are you going to give them up? And let's be honest, sometimes our answer is tomorrow. God wants to deal with these things today. So let's not be like Pharaoh Come to Christ if you don't know him for, for forgiveness of sin and ask God to deal with your idols. And if you're a Christian who says, I've still got some stuff in my life, don't be like Pharaoh saying, I know, but tomorrow. Let's ask God to help us deal with them today. And I think that is a message that sits within um, Exodus. All right, let's get on to the last one. And then I'm gonna, um, gonna we're going to have another song and uh, I'm going to pray together and do communion. Plague nine. This is the last one I will cover. Aaron will do the 10th plague on Sunday. Darkness. So 10.21 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, the darkness to be felt. Whoa. So this is it. The, the top Egyptian, um, in the Egyptian hierarchy of gods, the top one is Amun-Ra. Again, no doubt you have heard that name, who is, a, who is a combined deity of Ra, the sun god, and Amun, the creator god. Uh, and Egyptians believe that every night uh, Ra would fight with a serpent uh, of darkness, nighttime, and they didn't like darkness at nighttime. And the sunrise was a declaration every morning that Ra had won. So Ra had won that fight. And yet for three days there is no sunrise and a darkness that can be felt. Three days is significant, and you can imagine in Easter time it would be too. Um, it's in, in the, the culture of the time, and then it's throughout the Bible. Three days signifies confirmed total death. It's proof that someone who doesn't just appear dead, who is just static, three days they have, they have not moved, they are dead. Um, and it's total proof of that. So they called Amun-Ra, they called him this, the king of the gods, the top one, Pharaoh um, on some hierarchies is above because he's the representative of but, but Amun-Ra, the top of the hierarchy. The ninth plague is where God puts Amun-Ra to death for three days and he proves it. So God is saying Amun-Ra is not the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the King of Gods as they called him. He's not. I am. So it's Easter weekend and today is the, the day that Jesus, God's firstborn, dies on the cross for all our sins, for the sins of all of us. Jesus is about to go into the tomb and the darkness of death will come upon him for three days. Three days. So I put on the screen here, um, whilst we get ready for the next bit, all, all of the nine D 
deconstructions. Um, and you can look at this on the video later. Um, but all of the things that God was saying, you think these are what all the gods are? None of them are, because I am. They're all phony power. These things that you put your trust and your faith in, I am the God of them all. I am number one. And even the Ten Commandments says, you will serve no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. This is that same um, behavior by God saying, you will serve none of these before me because I am this one true God. So let's worship God above all the false idols because there's none like him. No one is as powerful as him. No one is as patient as him. No one is as gracious as him. No one loves us as much as he does. And today, Good Friday, we see on the cross that love and grace that puts our sin on Christ's shoulders and it's just scandalous.